You have to find your passion. My passion's people. I love my people, and I love that my people love to do what they do. And so if I can have them in a place where they're doing what they love to do, and they're being loved for it, <laughs> our patients are making out. Our patients are getting the best care because I have the right people taking care of the right type of patients being led by the right leaders. And it just makes so much sense. Welcome to Difficult Conversations, lessons I learned as an ICU physician with Dr. Anthony Orsini. Dr. Orsini is a practicing physician and president and CEO of the Orsini Way. As a frequent keynote speaker and author, Dr. Orsini has been training healthcare professionals and business leaders how to navigate through the most difficult dialogues. Each week, you will hear inspiring interviews with experts in their field who tell their story and provide practical advice on how to effectively communicate. Whether you are a doctor faced with giving a patient bad news, a business leader who wants to get the most out of his or her team members, or someone who just wants to learn to communicate better, this is the podcast for you. Well, I am honored today that the Orsini Way has partnered with the Finley Project to bring you this episode of Difficult Conversations, Lessons I Learned as an ICU Physician. The Finley Project is a nonprofit organization committed to providing care for mothers who have experienced the unimaginable, the loss of an infant. It was created by their founder, Noel Moore, whose sweet daughter Finley died in 2013. It was at that time that Noel realized that there was a large gap between leaving the hospital without your baby and the time when you get home that led her to start the Finley Project. The Finley Project is the nation's only seven-part holistic program that helps mothers after infant loss by supporting them physically and emotionally. They provide such things as mental health counseling, funeral arrangement support, grocery gift cards, professional house cleaning, professional massage therapy, and support group placement. The Finley Project has helped hundreds of women across the country, and I can tell you that I have seen personally how the Finley Project has literally saved the lives of mothers who lost their infant. If you are interested in learning more or referring a family or donating to this amazing cause, please go to thefinleyproject.org. The Finley Project believes that no family should walk out of a hospital without support. Well, welcome to another episode of Difficult Conversations, Lessons I Learned as an ICU Physician. This is Dr. Anthony Orsini, and I'll be your host again this week. You know, I often have drawn parallels between the doctor-patient relationship and the business leader to employee team member relationship. For success, both require good communication and trust. Nowhere do these two worlds interconnect more than when it comes to nursing leadership. There are approximately 4 million registered nurses in the United States right now and another million licensed practical nurses. And with all the talk about physicians and the problems they face, it is nurses who are undoubtedly the face of healthcare. They are the ones in the trenches holding hands and healing 24-7. So nursing leadership is more important than ever. And today I am thrilled to have someone who I believe embodies the essence of what nursing leadership and leadership in general is all about. Today, my guest is Dina Carey. Dina is the Associate Vice President of Women and Infant Health Services at Virginia Hospital Center in Arlington, Virginia. She has been a nurse for 15 years and has been in leadership for over half of her career. As a med surgeon NICU trained nurse, Dina has focused her latest role to build a team of nurse leaders that are engaged, respected, and dedicated to building a team of staff focus on one goal, delivering the best patient care 
and experience to the families they serve. In July of 2019, Dina was named to the Washington Business Journal 40 Under 40 Business Leaders. She is a frequent speaker on nursing leadership, among other topics. And as we all know, leaders are rarely successful if they don't have good communication skills. That's why I am especially excited to have Dina Carey as my guest today. Well, welcome, Dina. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to speak to us. Thank you so much for having me. What an honor and exciting moment to spend the next couple of minutes with you just talking about the things that I think we both love. Yeah, last time we spoke was a, a few weeks ago, and the conversation went so smoothly. I always say sometimes I think I should just hit record because it was great. So hopefully we can copy how great that was. But this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart and communication in general, but COVID and everything else that's been happening right now, and we're going to get into all of that later. So I'm excited to hear about you know, all about that. But first, let's start off just telling your story to my audience, your journey, how you got where you are. I want to hear about that top 40 of 40. That's pretty cool, too. So you can maybe finish up with that. So but you know, who's Dina Carey? Yeah, well, Dina Carey is a woman who came from Phillipsburg, New Jersey. Go New Jersey. Go New Jersey. Absolutely. (laughs) Jersey girl here through and through. And so I was always the leader. I was always the outgoing one. I was always outspoken. Everyone always knew what Dina was thinking. And I think that has rang true throughout my entire career. I was the little girl who dissected everything. I knew from early age that I wanted to do something in blood and guts and gory. (laughs) And I think that's kind of funny. I also grew up with a mom who did hair on dead people because there was a funeral home right down the street from her beauty shop. And I would go with her to be with her while she did the hair on these dead people. And I liked dead people. I I wasn't (laughs) scared of them. I wasn't nervous around them. I held their hand. I would talk to them. And I became comfortable in those situations. And as I grew and matured and went through high school, my first job was a secretary in a med surge unit. And I remember the one night I had a moment, I spent hours with this patient. I worked night shift, worked hours with this patient. And she was telling me the names of the wheels on her IV pole and who they were. And they were these animals. And we talked about them all night. And the nurses were like, you're really good at creating this relationship with patients and getting them to trust you. And she had a great night. She didn't fall. She didn't have any issues. She took all her medicines. And they were like, can you come back tomorrow? (laughs) And it was at that point that I realized healthcare was my calling and nursing was my calling. And I wanted to be on the other side of that desk with the patients in the room. So I went to James Madison University in Virginia and started to study health sciences and did all my prerequisites to enter nursing school as a second degree after my four years at JMU. I went out to Bellarmine University in Kentucky. They had a 18-month accelerated program and went through nursing school and really just fell in love with nursing. As you can imagine, I came out as a med surge nurse. I was taking care of five and six and seven patients. Within six months of being on the floor, I was asked to be in charge. 
of night shift. And I, of course, was like, of course, Dina always wants to be in charge. So I gladly accepted that honor, not realizing what responsibility I had over a 25 bed med surge unit, night shift, five and six patients at a time, admissions coming in and out. But I embraced it and I really liked it. And the seasoned nurses were so excited that somebody else wanted to be in charge. (laughs) And I always prided myself that my shifts ran smoothly. People knew what was going on. I kept people close, knit, helping each other, working together. And people wanted to work when I was in charge. And that was cool. And so as I kind of went through it, I was starting to get a little bit burnout because our patients wanted to be fixed, but they didn't want to fix themselves. Adults don't really want to fix themselves. They just want you to quick fix them and then send them on their way. And so I was trying to figure out where was my real calling. And I've always been drawn to kids and babies. And so my friend worked in the NICU and she said, come see me, come hang out for lunch. So I did. And I fell in love and I found my niche. And I went into the NICU at UVA in Charlottesville, Virginia. I worked as a nurse there for six years. Within those six years, I was on committees. I was chair of committees. I listened to all of my colleagues, the physicians, the fellows, the residents, the interns, the med students, the nursing students. I had one specific nurse practicum student, and she really pushed me to my limits as a preceptor, as a teacher, as a mentor. I'm still friends with her today. It was just incredible. I was also always the nurse who got assigned the dying patients, which not everybody always talks about in a NICU. Patients do die. It's part of what we do. It's not a fun part of what we do, but it sure is an honor to be with these families during these really hard times. Absolutely. I also remember which physicians I wanted to be in those situations with. And those physicians were so good at communicating with these patients and how to really break this bad news. And I know you have a whole book on breaking bad news, but it's so true. You know who can do it and who's good at it and who's not so good at it. And then the families struggle and nurses are left sometimes with picking up those pieces for that family. So After UVA and being in the NICU, I decided that my family wanted to be closer to all of our family, both in New Jersey and Northern Virginia. So we picked up and we moved to Northern Virginia. And I was looking for the next step. I was looking for what's next for Dina. I went to Johns Hopkins. I was traveling to Baltimore every day as a NICU nurse. And my husband was traveling to Washington, D.C., and it was not working. All we were doing was driving. So I said, I'm going to look for a position in Virginia. And I found this little gem in Arlington, Virginia called Virginia Hospital Center. And when I found Virginia Hospital Center, I tell you it's a gem. It's not only a gem, it's a unicorn. And I'm not here to promote Virginia Hospital Center But I am so fortunate to have chosen a place that has given me the opportunity to just explode as a leader and as a communicator and as a nurse leader that has been given the autonomy to make things happen. And that's exactly what I did. I came in as a clinical educator for the first year 
And I helped move our NICU from a level two to a level three and take on these sicker babies. At the same time, we partnered with Children's National Medical Center, their neonatologist department. And I partnered with the chief of neonatology who came in to build the program with me. And when I say with me, that's exactly what we did. And I think when people say, what makes you so successful is I'm willing to partner outside of nursing to bring the whole team together. That dyad leadership model is so integral into what I've been able to accomplish. And we were always on the same page. We had conflicts, of course. We moved through them together. We would brainstorm together. We would collaborate together. We would show our teams we were on the same page. And we had the same vision for that NICU. And that NICU, it was to take him from a two to a three and to provide all levels of service from 23 weeks and on for gestation. But we also knew our limits. We had two very large level four NICUs in our Northern Virginia region. There's no reason for us to compete. We'll send our babies out when they need to go out to the level fours, but how can we keep our babies in the community where they were born and provide top-notch, high-level NICU care to keep these moms and babies together? And that's exactly what we did. So after six years, we went from a 14-bed NICU to a 28-bed NICU. Within the first year, as I was the clinical educator, I then applied to be the director, was named the director. We continued to grow the program. I doubled my FTEs in nurses. So I went from around 32 nurses to today, they have over 65 nurses. Wow. Their turnover rate is less than 9%. That is a great statistic. And that's amazing. And, and that leads me to really what this podcast is all about. Last time we spoke, you said something that, and I wrote it down. So we were talking about patient experience. We were talking about happy employees and that turnover rate is amazing. And I've seen turnover rates, as you know, really high. But you said engaged employees are necessary for a good patient experience. And so I wrote that down in quotes. Tell me about that as a leader. You also spoke about the dyad leadership where you partnered with the doctor to build this NICU. But it seems to me that I think what makes you so successful is you're actually partnering with the people on the ground too. That's exactly what I focus on every single day. It's the people that are doing the actual work that need to be recognized, that need to be appreciated, that need to be heard. And every single morning when I walk into my unit, I walk in with courage, with integrity, with competence, with confidence, and a smile. I smile and I say hello to every single person, every single staff member that walks by or that I walk by. I say good morning to Lamont who cleans our floors. Our floors are the shiniest floors in the hospital. You can see your reflection in them. And it's because of Lamont and his continued dedication to make sure we have the cleanest facility to have a baby in. It's because of the people that say hello back to you and recognize that you're there with a smile and they're going to be there with a smile as well. It's contagious and it means the world to your staff when you're there to be personal and to be honest and open with them and to start their day off right with good morning, how are you? 
it means so much. I truly believe how I show up is how they show up. So if you've heard this podcast before, one of my favorite quotes, I have many, but one of my favorite quotes is an old Italian quote that says, the fish rots from the head down. And what you just said there is something that is so deep in my beliefs and cores that the people on the ground, they take on the personality and the outlook of their leaders. And in a world where there's so many toxic leaders now, I love that you just said that. So my other favorite quote is when your most passionate employees go silent, that's when you're in trouble. So other than smiling and being happy and speaking to everybody, what's the key to keeping them happy that they don't want to leave? You know, people don't leave jobs, they leave leaders. So obviously there's something going on right there with a 9% turnover. So what do you think the secret is that to the young charge nurse who's out there that really wants to learn? Yeah, I think honest, open, transparent communication in multiple formats and multiple ways for your team. I think that is one of the biggest things that we can do is to be open and honest I can't tell you how my staff respond to me when they ask me a question or I present them with a project or a problem. And I'm honest with them and say, I don't have the answer. I don't know how we're going to fix this, but together we're going to figure it out. And I'm here to make sure you have the resources that you need to figure this problem out or to change this process. But we're going to do it together. You're not going to be alone. I'm not going to let you fail. And I don't expect you to let me fail. And providing that 200% accountability is they know what my expectations are. We have a problem to solve. We have a project to complete. We need to do it together. And I'm here with you. And I expect you to be here with me too. And I think that is so integral into what I do every day is making sure that everybody on the team feels like they want to have a voice, two, they're respected, and three, that I value them being part of our team. Here at Virginia Hospital Center, I'm very fortunate to work for a a hospital and an organization that truly selects some of the highest performing, highest achieving employees. That's an expectation coming here. We talk about it in the interview process. So I am very lucky and very fortunate to work with high performers. Many of us are, though. So how do you keep those high performers engaged? You have to keep challenging them. You have to keep giving them more to feed on, but you have to be cognizant when you're asking them to stretch themselves, how far can you stretch them for how long? And are they in a place that they can accept being stretched and do it? And I think most of us are. Most of us stretch ourselves really thin into the max. People always say, how do you do it all? How do you do it all, Dina? Right now, I'm the AVP of Women and Infants Health. I have over almost 200 FTEs underneath me, you know, under my four directors, under them. I'm getting my MBA from Virginia Tech. I have two children. I have a puppy, (laughs) which is a lot of work. You really needed to add that to your list. (laughs) Exactly. And so, you know, how do I do it all? 
I make time for it all. And I focus on my people. My people is what are most important. It gets the job done. And if I am not here, I know this place is running because they know what the expectations are. They know exactly what I want to see out of them because I show it to them. And I have continued to show it day in and day out. And let them know that you care. You know, there's going to be, and that leads into my next question, but there's going to be times in everyone's life where they're going through a crisis and they may be an employee who's been dedicated and an excellent employee and they have a family crisis and they need a few days off or they need somebody to uh, shoulder. It is the good leader that says, my door is always open, but actually keeps the door open. And we see so many leaders who say, my door is always open. And then, but when you come in, you feel like you're not being heard. And so everyone goes through difficult times and it's really important that they know you care, right? Absolutely. And I think it's interesting. I learned that the hard way of having my door always open. I need to go out of my door. Good point. And see my people. I need to go out to the trenches, if you will, and see what they're actually doing. What are they experiencing? I opened and started with my labor and delivery director. We started doing GYN surgeries here in our ORs. We had some unproductive time. We were trying to figure out how can we help the main OR who's exploding with surgery? How can we move things around and make our third OR really productive? So we brought GYN surgeries here into our OR bay, which allowed me to stabilize staffing for the OR and open a PACU that was running full-time with a full-time staff. I go see my people in the PACU. They come in, they go to the PACU, they do their job and they go home. But I go see them in the PACU. I want to know what's going on in the PACU. How is it going? This is brand new for all of us. I've never been an OR nurse. I've never been a PACU nurse, but I care about what do they need. I gave them the autonomy to say, we need an ice machine. We need this supply. And we need our own supply of it. I can't be running down the hallway every five minutes to get this. I need my own supply. We make that happen. And so I truly am a leader who believes, yes, do I have an open door policy? I do. And do I expect my staff to come talk to me if they have a concern or problem? I do. But there's nothing better than a leader going out of their door to talk to the staff on the other side, because that's where you're going to get the real information. Fantastic advice. I think that's really true. The military has something called ground truth, which means, you know, if you really want to know what's going on, the generals have to go down into the trenches and ask the people, what do you need? You know, they have to be there. And you hear some stories of these great generals and great leaders that came in and and had meals with their troops and how much that meant to them. So that's a great piece of advice. You said something about stretching people, but only when they're in a position to be stretched. Tell me about what happened during COVID, because regardless of what we tried to do, we stretched everybody. So how did you navigate the incredible stress that was put on nurses and everyone else at the hospital during COVID? It all came back to the relationship and the trusting relationships that we had built prior to COVID. And we capitalized on that. I was honest and open with them and said, I'm as scared as you are. My office is literally right next to rooms X, Y, and Z where they were the negative pressure rooms. 
they were the rooms for our COVID patients. I was within 10 feet every day of our COVID positive moms. And I came to work every single day. And I wore my mask and my eye protection. And I was right by their side. I didn't stop going to our safety huddles. I didn't stop rounding on patients. I didn't stop rounding on them. What are you scared of? What can I relieve for you? Open communication. Our CMO put out a briefing every day about the changes. We all experienced the first 60 to 90 days of COVID. Things were changing within 24 hours. It was so much to keep track of. I followed up every day for the first several months. And then it spaced itself out. But with the updates that came from the main hospital, that came from the CMO, and how did it relate to us in women and infant health? Our patients aren't sick. Our patients are coming in to have this amazing experience that we've just completely changed. No visitation. What do you mean grandparents can't come? What do you mean aunts and uncles and sisters and brothers can't come? Siblings can't come meet their baby brother or sister. You know, this was a major change for our patient population. What I thought was interesting was in the very beginning, we did lose several staff nurses that really, it was because they had to take care of their families. It was too much to manage. They didn't maybe need to work or maybe they did, but it just wasn't going to be here. That's fine. We supported them. We said, if you want a job after COVID, come back. We were open and honest with our staff about why they left and said, you know, it's too much for them to handle. It's not because they don't want to work here, but how can we further support you? How can we be in this together? And they really stepped up. And I say my retention rate and my turnover rates are low in just the NICU. I would love to let you know that not just in the NICU, but overall, my turnover rates decreased 59% in total between my three departments. Wow. From 2019 to 2020, we actually sustained staffing during COVID. We are fully staffed on all three units. I don't have one travel nurse in-house. It's a lot to be proud of. And it's not just me, it's my leaders. I have hired and engaged four of the most fabulous directors that I can find. They match the personalities of the units they care for and are leading. Labor and delivery is a lot like an ER. Postpartum and mother baby is a lot like med surge floor nursing. And NICU is an ICU. They're three very unique specialty areas that I really picked and chose who was going to be in those leadership roles that we're going to be engaging. We're going to create those relationships with the staff that make the staff want to be there. It's all about inspiring and motivating your people. And how do you motivate people? You set the expectation, and you role model those behaviors you want to see happen again. I tell all of my people, and I have it posted on my computer monitor, I look at it every day, recognize behavior always gets repeated. Love that. Always. And that's in personal life or not. When I recognize my child for hanging their backpack on the hook when they walk in the door from school, and say, thank you so much for putting your book bag away. They do it the next day. And then they finally don't need to be reminded of it. It's no different with your people. 
If you recognize that you just told that safety story and huddle like a boss, you did that. Awesome. Thank you for stepping up and sharing that with the team. That's going to get repeated. And so recognized behavior is just, it's at the forefront of inspiration and motivating your people. Especially when that behavior promotes teamwork. And we see in the NICU when the little things that really make a difference, you mentioned babies that are dying. When a nurse says to the nurse who's dealing with a family and a very sick baby, let me feed your baby for you, or what can I do for you? And I can say that I'm very proud to be a neonatologist because NICUs in general do that, but there's degrees and there's people. And when you promote that kind of leadership and everyone follows, that's really where you get that success. We had Lori Gunter on, who we both know, our friends, we're both Mm -hmm. speaking at the Sonova conference in November. So I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Yeah. But Lori Gunther was talking about how Sonova, which is an association for nurse leaders, had to do some debriefings, and I believe she's still doing them for nurse leaders. You mentioned your four amazing nurse leaders, but it was stressful for them too. So how did you keep yourself sane? How did you keep your leaders sane and positive? Because if the top, the fish's head is uh, out of control, the rest is going to fall out of control too. Yeah. So I asked my leaders to take a hard look at their schedules and to make sure that they were taking time for themselves. And I said, your work is getting done. I need to know that you're taking time for you. I want to see an adjustment in your schedule. I want to make sure that you feel supported and that you have time to take care of yourself and your family along with this family. And so they all chose to do it in a little different way. I chose to take off using my paid time off every other Monday off. Three-day weekend. I don't check my email. I don't do anything but be home with my kids. And, you know, they had virtual school on Mondays. That was asynchronous. They didn't have teachers. So I spent time with them and I made sure it was good quality time. I made a schedule for us that these were the things we were going to do together. And when I say make a schedule, I'm a little bit OC. I'm a little bit type A. (laughs) I did make a schedule. We did school from, you know, eight to 10. And then me and my daughter practice reading because she's still not reading because of COVID and not being in school. It's hard to see her struggling, but we made time for it. We did it together and she wanted to do it together. And they named it Mommy Mondays. Oh, that's so cute. That was awesome for me. And that was really meaningful. And they noticed that I took off on Mondays to be home with them, especially being in school. I'm in school part-time, but it's two nights a week that I don't get to be with them. And that time off, I can't tell you, it was priceless. It was absolutely priceless time. And I made my leaders do that as well. And I think that also gave their assistant directors the opportunity to step up. On the days that their leaders weren't there, they stepped up into that role to take on the unit and the management. And I reached out to them when there was issues or concerns or things that needed to be talked about. That's successful leadership right there. That's secession planning. That's exactly what we all have to focus on. If we don't help our assistant directors step up in the times when our directors are either on vacation or out of maternity leave, we have no plan for when we move on, right? We're all going to continue to grow or hopefully we continue to grow. And if we're continuing to grow and support each other, we have to have a secession plan, but we have to mentor and grow them. Can't just throw them into the fire and expect them to 
to swim. And I expect that. I and I I challenge them every day. Right now, one of my leaders is on maternity leave. And I had a very direct conversation with both of her assistant directors. And I said, we're gonna get through this together. And this is your time to shine. This is your time to be great. And I want you to think about what does great look like? Little Cy Wakeman there for you. I love Cy. I love what she does for us. And we use her theories a lot, but they both looked at me and were like, thank you so much for telling me it's okay. I said, it's okay. And you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make bad decisions. And we're going to talk through it. And we're going to support each other through it. We're going to learn from it and not do it again. But you also are going to do things that do work. And we're going to celebrate those and lift you up because you are going to be the next director here or at another place you are going to be. So this is great practice. I'm a firm believer in wherever you put the bar, people will go over it. And I think one of the things I see with successful leaders is they raise the bar and people go over it. You know, the current NICU that I work in, the nurses there and some of the therapists do stuff that a lot of NICUs don't allow them to do and they do it well. And the place runs like clockwork. And my friends from New Jersey and from New York, where I used to work, will say to me, how does that unit, 147 beds, run like that? And I said, it is a prime example. When you raise the bar, people will go over it. But the opposite is true, too. If you lower the bar, they're very happy to stay there, too. One of my other favorite quotes is, why would I hire smart people and then not listen to them? That's a Steve Jobs talk. So I love that. And I think that's really what true leadership is really all about. And so we have to take care of our leaders. We have to make sure everyone's happy. And if they're happy, then they are engaged. If they're engaged, they take care of the patients, which is ultimately why we're all here doing that. And that goes whether things are going well or things aren't going well. And so I think that's uh, really great advice. So this is just an amazing talk and interview, and there's just so many good things that young nurses who want to be in leadership. And by the way, we have a decent sized audience out there that has nothing to do with healthcare that, you know, you want to be a boss. We're having Kristen Barrett on, who's going to be, a, and Cy Wakeman, by the way, has been invited. I think she's coming on also. Kristen Baird talks about how expensive it is for a nurse to replace a nurse. And Bad leadership, we've said this many times, bad leadership is expensive. So make sure that you hire the best leaders. Dina, I'm going to ask you one more question before I ask you the final tough question all the time. What would be the one piece of advice that you would give to that young nurse who really wants to become a leader? Tell her, where do I go from being a second year med surge RN to being a leadership in nursing? What do I have to do? I always tell new nurses, find your passion. Find your passion. What drives you? When I was in the NICU and I was one year in, what drove me crazy was the things we put on baby's skin without thinking about the long-term effects of those things. There's stickers everywhere. There's things in their nose, there's things in their mouth, there's tape on their face, there's tape around their hand, on their feet, the IVs, you know, what's more important, losing the IV or keeping the IV, but there's tape everywhere. And my passion became skin. I then became the skin rounder in the NICU. 
Then I joined the hospital-wide skin prevalence committee. I was the guru of skin in the NICU. I then became on the education council. I then became chair. I found my passion and I followed my passion to climb that ladder. And that was from the very beginning of my leadership career. But you have to find your passion. My passion's people. I love my people. And I love that my people love to do what they do. And so if I can have them in a place where they're doing what they love to do and they're being loved for it, (laughs) our patients are making out. Our patients are getting the best care because I have the right people taking care of the right type of patients being led by the right leaders. And it just makes so much sense. And the elephant in the room here that is also tied into all this is the very high rates of professional burnout among doctors and nurses. The latest number I saw for nurses is 60%. I couldn't believe with the passion 100%. You know, my passion has been communication. So, you know, people ask me why did I talk about it in the book? But for some reason, I gravitated towards that, just like you, the death and dying of NICU and how many people felt that at that moment, it's a failure when it's actually an opportunity to help the family when they need us the most. And, you know, spent 10 years researching how to break bad news and unfortunately got the nickname Breaking Bad News Doctor, which I'm not so sure is is a good title, but it's something that I'm really proud of because it's something that I've taught. So you would you agree with me that's the best way to break this professional burnout problem is to just get people to enjoy their work again? I do. I really do. I think once they can find the joy in what they do and make sure that they have those personal connections with their patients and talk about them, talk about the success of what good care looks like, share those stories of grateful patients. I read probably once a week, I read a letter written by families to our patient experience department, to our leaders that are rounding. After the fact, I read it line by line. I announce who those star staff were, you know? In yesterday's letter, it was Maureen from the postpartum unit. She was the angel of all angels for this family. And I want the staff to recognize her. I want them to walk down the hall and say, wow, Maureen, you really are awesome. And pay attention to what Maureen does because and I want to get on that. Right. Le- and I want to be on that letter next week. And to recognize people is so important. So great advice. Dina, closing up, I warned you about this question. So what is the most difficult conversation that you've had in your life? And you can say type of conversation. And please give advice to people who are out there that need to how you navigate it or did not navigate it correctly and give them some advice on how to do that. Well, I thought a lot about this question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some people I forget the warn, so you're lucky I warned you. Ahead yeah, of time. <laughs> I'm very lucky. I've had a lot of experiences in my life, honestly. And I think that in my current role as an AVP over four different units, I think one of my most difficult moments in conversation is when I'm given a project that I'm not the expert in. And I have to threaten the comfort zones of all the other experts. Okay. That is often the most difficult conversation that I have to have. I have to bring together pediatricians, OBs, 
neonatologists, nurses, lab directors, and role EPIC directors, so IT directors for those of you who are don't know EPIC, and get everybody on the same page and really understand the mission of what we're trying to accomplish and ensure that they all know how much respect I have for them being the expert at the table. And I think that's often the most difficult thing I have to do as an AVP. So maybe not your most traditional answer, but it's hard. That's a great answer. I, I found that also that you have to recognize that everyone wants to feel important. Everyone wants to be heard. Absolutely. And when you have that many people in the room, you know, some people would say stroke a little egos, but you kind of have to do that, right? Because the egos get in the way and everybody wants themselves to be heard, but they don't want to listen to everybody else. So I think that's great advice. you got to get everybody on the same page. And I mean, look what's happening in Washington, D.C. right now. You get nothing done because no one listens to each other. So yeah, absolutely. we won't get political, but that's... Yeah. Um, I think our government should take your advice. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's what's hard. We in healthcare often are, this is how we've always done it. This is how we've always done it. And to to threaten that comfort is hard. It's hard to do as a leader. And I know my reputation is often, if anybody can do it, Dina can do it. And often that's hard to do. So (laughs) it is hard. But I think, like you said, listening and valuing your people, they will always join you. Fantastic. Great words of advice. Dina, the best way for people to get in touch with you, your email, or what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to ask you a question or get some advice? Yeah, either LinkedIn, Dina Carey, or feel free to email me, my work email, dcarey at virginiahospitalcenter.com. They're welcome to reach out. I love to mentor. I love to teach. I love to just share what we're doing because it's working. And your enthusiasm overflows. So we'll put all that in the show notes. But Dina, thank you so much for being here. I promise my audience every week they'll be inspired and they're going to learn communication and this certainly fit the bill. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for reaching out. This was an honor and a pleasure and I'm so thrilled. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and hit follow. It's no longer subscribe. We're available on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon and just about every other podcast. If you want to get in touch with me, you can reach me through the OrsiniWay.com. Thank you again. And Dina, thank you. We appreciate everything that you do. Thank you. Well, before we leave, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Difficult Conversations, Lessons I Learned as an ICU Physician. And I want to thank the Finley Project for being such an amazing organization. Please, everyone who's listening to this episode, go ahead, visit thefinleyproject.org, see the amazing things they're doing. I've seen this organization literally saved the lives of mothers who lost infants. So to find out more, go to thefinleyproject.org. Thank you. And I will see you again on Tuesday. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment and review. To contact Dr. Orsini and his team or to suggest guests for future podcasts, visit us at theorsiniway.com. The comments and opinions of the interviewer and guests on this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions and beliefs of their present and past employers or institutions.